0: Well, happy Sabbath to everyone. Um, I know we're getting a little late start. I will be mindful of the time. um, But our sermon today is over the revelation on Patmos. Um, And bear with me, because this is, for those of us that suffer through seasonal allergies, this is Armageddon, so I'm just trying to survive right now. Um, But uh, basically, I've done this sermon about 10 or 12 years ago. And it was about the seven churches of Revelation. And I covered the whole thing in one sermon. And I was thinking about, when I, last time I'd w- I done the sermon, how many new faces I see out there. And I was like, you know, it would probably be good to go back to that sermon, but instead of doing it in one sermon to focus on each church and do a deeper dive into what's happening, because there's a lot of information, a lot of things that's happening But in this sermon, I wanted to go over the man, um, John, the Apostle Paul, no, John, who had the revelation, who wrote about it, and give us an introduction to all the churches. So um, I think as we live in these last days, I found a common thread amongst all the sermons I've been doing lately, and that that has been encouragement, because it does seem like with everything that's going on, it just seems bleak, doesn't it? Like there's so much that we're dealing with that you almost forget that the work is still going on. And so, sometimes it seems as we do these evangelist series and we do all these projects, and you bear a little fruit, the discouragement that I have. We we as I, when I was on the board, we would discuss this, but we we you see a lot of discouragement amongst members when you don't see a lot of fruit. And sometimes I think. People believe that nothing's happening, that we're not accomplishing things when in reality we are. And so, especially in this last sermon that I did, when I, it was kind of a downer because it was the, the main thing that came out of it was that the church is aging out. That as the older generations are passing away, the church is dwindling and and and. and Basically, died in numbers because the youth, my generation, the millennials, and the younger generations aren't coming to church. They're, they're leaving the church. They're, they're, um, you know, like it's a very discouraging thing. But as you saw today, I think God reminds us in very different ways that all is not lost, and that uh, things are happening and. We should be encouraged because I, I was having a conversation with my youth here. Oh, they're going now, but with my youth. And Anala came to me and she said, I want to be more involved. She wants to come up here and start praying and being a part of it. And I was like, wow. And it's like our youth that we do have coming to church are bold and want to stand up and, and be representatives of Christ. Because I remember my generation, we were a little bit more reserved. You had to kind of push us to get us to do stuff. We would do it, but you had to push us, right? I've noticed with the youth that I have, like these two that was up here and the, the ones coming up, they're pretty bold about it. They're like, yeah, I don't mind. I don't go, I'll go up there. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll sing. I'll, I'll pray. I'll do whatever. And I think what God's trying to remind me and remind others is that he will always have people that's going to proclaim the message, Right? And especially in these last days, we're going to need that boldness to stay, for people to want to stand up no matter what's going on, no matter the cost, right? So, <clears throat> this sermon is about John, who was a very old man at the point in life when, when this all happened. And if, and if you know the story of John, you know that he was the last of the apostles, right? And so, I'm going to go ahead and read and introduce John we're going to start in, in Revelation 1, if you, want, if you have your Bibles, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 20. And this is basically about John writing to the churches that existed at that time. Those churches were the seven churches that were in Asia, which is in like modern-day Turkey. And basically what God is basically showing us, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, or how old you are. He can use you if you will be willing to, to obey and trust him. Amen. Right? And it doesn't matter that the numbers are dwindling. He still has faithful servants that's going to work for him. That's what's going on. So we should cast, cast aside this discouragement and be emboldened like our youth, because we're going, to, we're going to need it. So let's go ahead and read. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in our own blood, and has made us kings and priests to him to, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Omega, Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus to Smyrna, to Pergamus, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you have saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So that was a very descriptive uh, text about uh, what he saw. He saw Christ and he and, he, and Christ c- asked him to write in the book the things that he was about to see. And um, I'm going to read a little bit from what Ellen G. White writes about John on Patmos. Um, and you can find that in the Acts of the Apostles if you want to go back and find it. But it's Ellen uh, G. White in the Acts of Apostles. More than half a century had passed since the organization of the Christian church. During that time, the gospel message had been constantly opposed. Its enemies had was, has never relaxed their efforts and had at last succeeded in enlisting the power of the Roman emperor against the Christians. In the terrible persecution that followed, the Apostle John did much to confirm and strengthen the faith of the believers. He bore testimony which his adversaries could not controvert and were Helped, and helped his brethren to meet with courage and loyalty the trials that came upon them. When the faith of the Christians was seen to waver under the fierce opposition they were forced to meet, the old, tried servant of Jesus would repeat with power and eloquence the story of the crucified and risen Savior. He steadfastly maintained his faith, and from his lips came the ever the, came the, ever, the same glad message, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life, that which we have seen, heard, declare we unto you, First 1 John one, 1 3. So, if you think about it, can you imagine you're the last apostle, right? You've been with the Savior and You've seen all the, the uh, miracles and all the things he had done, and even when when Christ went back to heaven, he served Christ faithfully until he was an old man. And all the other apostles are, are gone, and in his old age he's still standing strong for the Lord, and and going through persecution as we're about to see. It didn't matter. He he never got discouraged. I can't say that. If he did get discouraged, he didn't let it stop him. Right? And so, even in these last days, we've got to be like John. No matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, no matter who we are, we're going to have to stand strong and go through this persecution the way he did. That is that, that, that is the kinship that we can have to John himself. Okay, so, John lived to be very old. He witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem and the ruin of the stately temple. The last survivor of the disciples, who had been intimately connected with the Savior, his message had great influence in setting forth the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world. No one could doubt his sincerity, and through his teachings, many were led to uh, led to turn from unbelief. The rulers of the Jews were filled with bitter hatred against John for his unwavering fidelity to, call, to the cause of Christ. They declared that their efforts against the Christians would avail nothing so long as John's testimony kept ringing in the ears of the people. In order that the miracles and teachings of Jesus might be forgotten, the voice of the bold witness must be silenced. And we, as we notice through time, they, whenever there's a people standing up for Christ and speaking the truth, what does Satan always try to do? Stuff them out. Silence them. And so in the world we live in, where everybody's trying to silence everybody else, right? You cannot have an opinion. You cannot stand for anything. Or the world will come after you with a vengeance. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zone and be willing to stand up and speak the truth. That is what happened, especially here in America. They call it cancel culture But we can't allow them to cancel us <laughs> And as, as the news has come out this last week It's in an uproar right now, right? There's a lot going on right now um, So John was accordingly summoned to Rome To be tried for his faith Here before the authorities The apostles' doctrines were misstated False witnesses accused him Of teaching seditious heresies by these accusations, his enemies hoped to bring about the disciples' death. John answered for himself in a clear and convincing manner and with such simplicity and candor that his words had a powerful effect. His hearers were astonished at his wisdom and eloquence. But the more convincing his testimony, the deeper was the hatred of his opposers. The emperor, of uh, the, the mission, I guess that's his name, was filled with rage, Domitian. He could neither dispute, The reasoning of Christ's faithful advocate, nor master power that attended his utterance of truth. Yet he determined that he would silence his voice. And John was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil. But the Lord preserved the life of his faithful servant, even as he's preserved the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace. As the words were spoken, thus perished all who believe in that deceiver, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. John declared, my master patiently submitted to all that Satan and his angels could devise, to humiliate and torture him. He gave his life to save the world. I am honored in being permitted to suffer for his sake. I am a weak, sinful man. Christ was holy, harmless, undefiled. He did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. These words had their influence, and John was removed from the cauldron by the very men who cast him in. But that wouldn't be it. Again the hand of persecution fell upon the apostle. By the emperor's decree, John was banished to the isles of Patmos, condemned for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, Revelations 1.9. Here his enemies thought his influence would no longer be felt, and he must finally die of hardship and distress. So I want to go over Patmos because I think we're in a spiritual Patmos right now. Think about it. The world, like this country used to be in a, a Christian country. It is no longer a Christian country, if anybody's been paying attention. <laughs> right? You got a lot of people claiming to be Christians that are not Christians. You got a lot of people who uh, basically are trying to ignore Christianity, to make fun of it. Um, nobody has respect of God anymore. Nobody has a respect of Christians. And our numbers are dwindling spiritually, you can almost feel like you're on a spiritual Patmos, But God has already shown us what is about to happen and has given us the truth to spread, right? We are the John in our time. That's the way we have to view ourselves. So, for time's sake, I wanted to go a little bit about the geographics of um, this, so I'll go through that very quickly. So, uh, Patmos... Think about you got Spain, France, uh, Romania, Italy, Turkey. Down here on the bottom corner, you have Israel, right? If you go back up here to Turkey, and on the west coast, you have um, where the seven churches were, and I and I'll I'll show you a better picture in in a second. But out there in the Aegean Sea is the island of Patmos. All right. So just so now you know that that is modern day Turkey. Patmos was an island right here, um, very close to the coast, and then you had the set the, the churches that were all right there in Asia. Um, I'm trying to make my mind do. I want to go through. I just want to skip it, but basically, Patmos was an island, and it was at that time, it was it was isolated, like it was. Um, it's not today. Today there's people that actually live there, as you can see. It's not a big population. I believe there's around 3,000 so people that live there. But in that day, that's where they sent people, like criminals, to be exiled from society. And so there were people on Patmos, but there were not a lot of people there. So you were basically there by yourself, and it was meant to be a form of punishment um, that John experienced. So the first church is the church of Ephesus right here. And if you notice from the when you read Revelation, the order in which he wrote the letters, they actually were in order, starting with Ephesus and going up to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to um, Theratera, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So like, if you ever just really looked at it, he actually went in order. So that was just, that was just something that jumped out at me. They, they, these weren't random. He kind of went in order of, of, the, of, of the cities. And Ephesus was a city in ancient Greece on the coast of Iona. It's about two, one 1.9 miles southwest of present day I'm gonna see if I can say this Is Ismer the Ismer province of Turkey. Um, and this first church uh, was the one he addressed first. So let me go on to and I'm, I'm hurrying up because I I don't, don't, don't want to keep, keep you here all day. Um, yeah, here we go. So I want to give you an introduction to each of the churches. So, Ephesus is the first, and it was the church of John's time. Its time was from Jesus' resurrection to around the death of the last of the apostles. This early church um, was pure and eager to spread the truth about Jesus to the entire world. They watched carefully so that those who were false-hearted and meant to speak in, sneak in, and do the church harm were sent away, and the true believers were carefully taught. The early apostolic church uh, carried the gospel to all the uh, the then-known world before the last of the apostles died. They suffered persecution, and many died for their faith. Their eagerness to obey Jesus' command to teach all nations carried them to the ends of the earth. But as we're going to see as I go to a deeper dive in the future sermon, it wasn't a perfect church. Uh, They had their own problems, and we're going to go into those problems in that sermon. But basically, this was the first church that... um, and for those of those who don't know, um, there are literal churches, the, the churches that Ephesus, the and the rest. But those churches were also um, uh, symbolic of time periods that started with the time of Christ all the way to our time. So there's it was, it was both a literal and a spiritual meaning to these churches. And what he was saying to these churches also applied to those time periods and to those people. So if you understand that, there was a literal church of Ephesus, but there was the time period in which those Christians in that time, that, what he was, who he was talking to, and they were the first church, and they had the first love, because many of them had met Christ. Many of them had seen what he had done, and when, they, and when he had ascended back to heaven, they still had that fervor, and they spread the gospel as Jesus asked them to through all the then-known world at that time. Um, and then it goes on to the next church, which is the church of Smyrna, which is a little bit above Ephesus here. And this is what uh, was happening for Pergamus. Pergamus means lifted up. This was when Constantine pretended to be a Christian and it began to be popular to be, be a nominal Christian. This church covers the period from 323 to 538 um, A.D., During this time, we see the rise of the papal power, the idea that the bishop of Rome should rule the entire world as a god on earth. This letter is addressed to those who were clinging to the truth and not going along with the wrong that was coming to the Christian church. In all these letters, we notice that Jesus does not see as people see. He does not recognize the ones who have rejected his truth and are bringing in their own ideas as his church. One of the things Jesus was telling these people that they were doing wrong was that they were allowing the people who have the wrong ideas to stay and teach error among them. We, were here, uh, we see here the worship of idols coming in and the faithful martyr Antipas, there's some hard names here, Antipas, yeah, Antipas, dying for his faith. Who was this? It wasn't just one person, but meant those who refused to go on with the idea of the bishop of Rome being the, the, uh, the papa or pope over the, all the churches. Many were killed or had to flee into exile for their lives. And just to quickly give you uh, a reminder of uh, that church. This was Constantine, and this was the time when Constantine made Christianity the, the religion of the land. But what he did, instead of uh, getting rid of all the pagan beliefs and pagan gods and goddesses and all those things, ceremonies and rituals, what he did was blend the two together. And so you have statues in the church and in the city that were uh, pagan gods that they just renamed to the saints of the church. So he started to blend in Christianity and paganism. And you still see the effects of that today. So that's what, that's what he's talking about in this um, letter to, uh, to uh, Smyrna. And then you have Pergamus a little bit above Smyrna. And Pergamos, uh, wait a minute, did I skip one? I skipped Smyrna. Sorry, that was Pergamos, sorry. Yeah. Smyrna, this was the second church, sorry. Smyrna means a sweet smell, like a perfume. This was the time when God's people went through a terrible persecution by the emperor, um, diocletian i believe that's his name they would have tribulation 10 days in a prophecy a day represents a literal year this refers to the 10 years of persecution under pagan rome from uh, 303 to 313 a.d where thousands were slain their uh, faithfulness as they stood for his truth was like a sweet perfume to god though some of the people in the first church had not gone back to the first love most had and now in the and now in this church they still bravely for the truth this is one church that Jesus had nothing bad to say this was this was a time of persecution and uh, they would literally have they would do like they would have the executions the public executions in the in the um, in the stadiums they would have the stadiums full they would bring Christians out and they would have lions and other animals and and the gladiators and whoever for the form of entertainment They would come out and slay Christians. And these Christians, instead of bending to the will of of Rome, they would have to sneak um, together and and study and pray and worship. But they were but many did not um, make it out. They they were they were caught and they were martyred. And this is the one church, the only church that God didn't have anything bad to say. Notice that it was during a time of persecution. And the lesson, the quick lesson from that is, have you ever wondered why God allows you to go through persecution in your life? He doesn't keep it away. Why is that? Because we get closer to God when you have to depend on him to get through the times of trouble. It actually brings you closer to him. So if you're going through a hard time in your life, sometimes you might as well stop and think, no, did I get too comfortable? Did I get too complacent? Have I not been dependent on God the way I should? Why is this 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 thing happening in my life that I'm having to be reminded that we have to depend on God? And, and the person I have my own stories about the times I went through um, and our family has gone through and how close we had to depend upon God and how close it does bring you to God to go through persecution. But that is the, the spiritual message that was going on with that church in Smyrna. There was the one church that he didn't have anything bad to say about. So the next was Thyatira. Um, Thyatira, sorry. Thyatira. I actually went to Google and tried to do the pronunciations. That's how hard these names are. Um, you have to go listen to somebody else say it to try to learn what they're trying to say here. Um, but this is what the spiritual message was about this church. Um, Now in Theotira, which means sacrifice and humility, we see Jesus is no longer talking to the great church that has set itself up as the ruler of the world, but rather to um, his true church, now hiding in the wilderness. The apostate church had not repented, but had kept on doing wickedness and bringing in pagan practices. Jesus had removed their candlestick, and they were no longer in uh, any church of his. The faithful who refused to go along with the majority had fled into the wilderness, Areas, and now Jesus sees them as a, his true church on earth. Does this sound familiar? What's, this sounds very familiar about what's about to happen, right? The, this is the church of the 1260, 1260 years of papal persecution from 538 um, A.D. to 1517 A.D., the start of the Reformation. Jesus is pleased with their works as they humbly do their best to serve him and still share his truth with the world. Though so often it cost their lives. Their works were so wonderful that Jesus mentioned them twice. But even they had problems. They even had problems. And that's what we're going to go over a lot in those sermons. But this was during basically the dark ages. This was that church. Um, this was the time when you weren't allowed to have Bibles or any kind of written scripture. Only the popes, the bishops and the, you know, the pope and the church could have that material because that was the truth. And they didn't want you to know the complete truth. So that was that time period. Um, the next is Sardis. And that period, and this was what he wrote to this church. Sardis means that means what remains. And we see Jesus saying that there are there still some good things remaining in this church, but they need to be strengthened. This is the time of the Protestant churches that grew out of the Reformation. The Reformation started out as um, Thyatira, uh, humble and faithful, Faithful, eagerly searching the Bible for heaven sent truth. During this earth reformation period, this church was still theoretical, but there came a time when they stopped seeking for truth and became proud and stopped learning um, new truth from the Bible. Instead, they made creeds and decided they would not believe anything that their fathers had not believed. Then Jesus could not teach them anymore. He told them that even though they thought they were so good, they were really spiritually dead. Um. And I'm going to stop there. But that time period is from 1517 to 1820. So we're getting real close to our time. Um, But as you can see, they had problems uh, as well. The second to last church was Philadelphia. That church is from 1830 to 1850. So a very short period of time here. Um, And what John wrote to this church, Philadelphia means brotherly love. And this is one of the churches that Jesus had nothing bad to say, uh, had nothing bad to say about. This is Oh, sorry, 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 there's two churches. This is another place where we see that heaven does not look at things the way we do. No history book made by man would have declared that the Advent movement and the Millerites of the 1830s to 1844 were the true church for that time. But this is exactly what we see in this message. And I'm going to stop there. also remember God was bringing back truths he was bringing back truth and he was using these churches to bring back the truths that were lost during the lost ages so that's, that, that's, that's part of what the sermons are going to be about when we get to this last part is that with this church what what truth did, did, did the Millerites bring back the Sabbath and the, during the Reformation they, the other truths were being brought back and this was the last one so Anybody who's ever read the first part of Revelation, there's a lot of material here. If you understand spiritually what John was saying, both literally to the church and spiritually to the church. With the last church (laughs) being the one that we need to be paying the most attention to because that church is us. Right. And the time period is from 1852 to the end of probation. When is the end of probation? Anybody? When is the end of probation? Huh? (laughs) The end of probation is when we have to make the final choice. Right? When the uh, Sunday laws are being made, come into effect, and you have to decide who are you going to serve. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve man? Everybody makes their final decision. That's the end of probation. And the beginning of time of trouble. That's what they talking about here. Okay. And this is what, what he says to this church. There are two churches that Jesus said nothing about, but here is the saddest church of all. I'm in the saddest generation, in the saddest church. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, for Jesus had nothing good to say about them. This is our time starting about 1852, and it's important that we understand, that, understand this message. Laodicea means judged, for we live in a time when the investigative judgment is taking place in heaven to see who will go home with Jesus and who will not. This church is so bad that Jesus says he is going to spit them out because they were disgusting to him. Spitting them out of his mouth means he will not plead for them when their names come up in the investigative judgment. Without Jesus to plead on their behalf, they are lost with no hope to ever see heaven. And I'll stop it right there. (sighs) That it doesn't take a genius to look out and see what's happening today and the deterioration of all Spiritual holiness is almost gone, right? You can't even go in churches and see a lot of holiness, (laughs) right? Because there's a difference between being a Christian and serving God and being holy. There's a difference. When you meet somebody that's, that's really walking the walk and there's a sense of holiness to them, you'll know it. That is what we should all be striving for. And that is what that last sermon will really kind of be about. How do we not only be Christians, but how do we return to a state of holiness? We are prophets and prophecies, we are um, priests and priestesses. And are we acting that part today? Those are hard questions because this is not just about being a Christian. In this time, he's going to be looking for his true people, his remnant. And, he going to, and, and it's going to require that we get to a place where we are in perfect entombment with God. And we keep half-stepping and playing around with God. Easy. easy, easy. easy. <laughs> We're going to be too scared to stand up and be bold. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's just what it is. We're going to be so afraid of what man can do that we're going to miss the forest for the trees. That is what that sermon is about. So, taking heed of time. There's a little bit more I was going to say, but I'm going to leave that for the sermons themselves. That's why I wanted to break each church down. Because that last sermon I done, I covered all the churches. But there's only so much you can say. But there's a lot of spiritual messages and blessings and and things you can take from each church. Because he put that in the first part of Revelation for a purpose and a reason. Because it's very important that we understand those seven churches and what they were going through and what they had to withstand and what their problems were because they only... Sorry, I had made a mistake. There were two churches he didn't have anything negative to say about. But there was one church he didn't have anything good to say about. (laughs) And that was our church. So I just wanted this sermon to and the series to be an encouragement for us to look at people like John who stood to his end of his days preaching to, his, to the people. No matter the persecution, no matter what he was threatened with, it didn't matter. And God preserved him because when God has a message to get out, he's going to preserve his people to do it. It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're old. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to have a, a place of a position in this world. You can be the most unassuming person out there. But if you are willing to open up your heart and to be obedient and trust him and do as he say he can use you to do his work. That is, that is the gift he gives us. And we all have his power to tap into if we can get in, a, in alignment and in attunement with him. We can get holy and we can be his priests and priestesses on this earth and in this time. We can do everything the apostles did, and we can preach boldly the message of God. So, that's the series that we're about to do. Um, my next, the next sermons I, each sermon, what I, what I will do is I will give the date on YouTube of the last sermons, all the sermons. So that if you miss the sermon, you can go back and watch one and see where we're at. Because the series will be on YouTube. And so... Um, because obviously some people may be here for this or may not be here for that one. You may have forgotten. I'll try to recap really quickly what the sermons are about so that you don't you can remind or whatever. And then we can all do our own studies about it. But that's that's the plan. To do each church one at a time and look at what was going on and what can we dig out of there for spiritual truth. All right. So if your body has us, have a word of prayer. Lord, th- we live in a time where we're about to be called upon to be bold and to stand strong for you, Lord. And whether we realize it or not, we all have the strength to do so. And we're all going to be called upon to do it, Lord. So we ask that you give us that spiritual boldness that John had, that all the apostles had, that all the people who have gone into to scary places around the world and have proclaimed their truth, we're going to have to proclaim that truth here at home. We live in a spiritually dead country, Lord, called the United States. We are so comfortable, Lord, we are the very embodiment of Laodicea. And Lord, we ask that you give us your power and your your words that we can spread the gospel um and that we can be those light stands, that we can be the light in the world. We ask that you give us that your power, Lord, and give us the, the courage and the boldness to withstand no matter what threat we receive, Lord. Lord, we ask for this and many other blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.